Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. You know, this year we have an extra Sunday in between Thanksgiving and our first Sunday of Advent, so I I feel like saying hallelujah. Um, We get the gift today of lingering in thankfulness. We get to push the pause button and have just an extra moment to say thanks to the Lord. And so I want to invite you today to just take a deep breath, to relax your heart, and to allow the Spirit of God to fill you with gratitude for this extra moment we have in the calendar. Every year it feels like the pace of the holiday season gets faster and faster, doesn't it? We get Halloween out of the way and we make a mad dash to Christmas. And it seems that Thanksgiving barely registers on our holiday list before we surge ahead into the Christmas season. We long for the joy that Christmas promises to bring. In the midst of all the darkness and conflict, we long for a savior, and that is absolutely right. But I love this prayer by a little girl who clearly didn't think we had enough holidays in our calendar. Dear Lord, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. (laughs) Jenny. I love her eagerness, but let's not get to Christmas too fast. Let's enjoy Thanksgiving just a moment more. Because as God's people, giving thanks in everything marks who we are and who we are becoming. Gratitude shapes a heart that has met the Lord. And so be invited into a longer moment this year to give thanks and to bring a sacrifice of praise to the altar of the Lord. Thanksgiving, or Advent will be here soon enough. Today we finish our sermon series in Habakkuk, and our final word today gives us a glimpse into the heart of this prophet who sees the storm coming. In this man whose very name means embrace, we see a faithful follower of God whose life of praise is rooted in a God who never leaves or forsakes his people, even in their darkest moments. And so we turn to Habakkuk, the last chapter, chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 17 to 19. We find the prophet in prayer before the Lord, and these words are the end of his prayer. They go like this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then it ends with these words, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Lord, may your word not only bless us this morning, but may it be planted deeply within our hearts, growing something beautiful in our lives. We look to you for our food this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The prophets were people of prayer. They wrestled with God. They bared their souls and their emotions. They spoke up when they saw something was not right or just. So for Habakkuk's closing words to be in the form of a prayer helps us to understand that he lived a life of faithfulness. 
that he waited upon the Lord. That he prayed in the face of the coming storm speaks volumes to us about how we might live faithfully in the midst of difficulty. We pray. Prayer is how we engage with God. Prayer is how our hearts connect with the heart of God. The prophets prayed, the apostle Paul prayed, even Jesus prayed. The language of prayer in scripture is vast and it's accessible. No prayer is off limits to God. There are no words that he doesn't want to hear from you. Wherever you are, whatever you are feeling, whatever darkness is surrounding you or coming toward you, everything can be brought to God in prayer. Throughout scripture, we have many, many models of prayer. Isaiah argues with God. Moses bargains with God. Habakkuk demands an answer. King David praises and confesses. Jesus prays in surrender in the garden. The psalmist waits on the Lord. Zechariah submits to the Lord in prayer. The psalmist expresses desperation and bewilderment. And the disciples pray the Lord's prayer as we do. I grew up in the Village 7 area on the east side of town, and it was brand new at the time when we moved in in the early 70s. And throughout the neighborhood as it was being formed, a series of sidewalks were created to connect the whole neighborhood um, with lots of things that were present in the neighborhood. It was a walkable neighborhood long before that became a thing. And my brothers and I walked everywhere. We walked to school, to the pool, to playgrounds, to the arcade to Red Top Hamburgers, may it rest in peace, (laughs) and to the 7-Eleven. We, as a family, moved back into that area several years ago, and the Pathways, which is called the Greenway, is still there. And where it's been worn out over time or the sidewalks are crumbling, they're constantly refreshing and renewing those paths. The greenway is looking good again. It's still there connecting so much of that neighborhood. I think a lot about prayer being like the greenway. Over time, much time, the paths of prayer that the saints have carved out have become familiar pathways to God's heart. Long before any of us came into being, long before any of us knew that God wanted to listen to our prayers, there were people in deep relationship with God carving out prayer paths that would be walked along for centuries to come. And as we pray, we walk the well-worn paths of the faithful before us. When we bend a knee to the Lord, our words and our emotions, our situations are not new to God. We pray like those who have sought the Lord in joy and in pain, in sorrow and in praise. There is comfort in knowing that we are not alone in prayer. So whatever your challenge, whatever your difficulty, whatever storm is coming, whatever your despair, you are not the first to cry out to the Lord. And Habakkuk teaches us along with others how to pray He gives us words and patterns when we don't know what to say. His prayer here in chapter 3 provides a really helpful pattern of prayer. If you go through the whole chapter, first he remembers the great deeds of the Lord. He calls on the mercy of the Lord. He wrestles through his questions. He vows to wait patiently for what the Lord brings. In Habakkuk's prayer, we discover that we too can bring everything to God and that God hears and responds. Habakkuk, along with all the great prophets of the scriptures, teaches us to pray, especially when things are not well. 
And by the end of his prayer, Habakkuk is naming the reality of all that surrounds him. He holds nothing back. He paints a harsh picture in this moment. You heard the words. As he looks around, he sees nothing but emptiness, a barren desert, a hollow wasteland, not a world of plenty, but a world of want. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, no fruit, no drink of gladness, no field to harvest, no meat, sheep, cattle on the table, it's the very opposite of what our Thanksgiving tables look like this past week. In fact, if Habakkuk had invited us to Thanksgiving dinner at his house, we would not leave stuffed and full. We would have left with empty stomachs, And even worse, all we would see before us would be emptiness and devastation with no end in sight. How do you deal with emptiness and hopelessness? When you are completely spent, done at the end of your rope, where do you go? What do you do? How do you deal with the ache, the need, the despair in your life? We all have our strategies, for sure. Work harder, get angry, disappear into silence, blame others, read, run, journal, study more, cry, pray, vent out to a friend, set goals. We have lots of strategies for how we deal with those moments in our lives. I won't bore you with mine, But one little word in this section clues us that something has altered Habakkuk's path to total despair, which would be completely justified in this moment as he looks around and sees emptiness and sees the storm coming. There's a small word here in verse 18 that breaks the logical progression of all that has gone before it. It's the word yet. Nevertheless, in spite of, however, even so, I will rejoice in the Lord. Where Habakkuk's prayer finally ends is not in total hopelessness, but in total praise. In the midst of all that is happening and all that he sees, Habakkuk leads us to a place of joy. It's a surprising end to his thought pattern. Habakkuk somehow holds in, in his hands, both desperation and joy, misery and gladness, utter desolation and unreserved delight. How is this possible? How can he hold all those things together? You see, the Lord has given Habakkuk a vision of fullness. We talked about this in week two, and he clings to that vision The Lord has told him that the earth will be full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the vision, the picture that God has given to Habakkuk. Picture the ocean. Picture the seas. It's a lot of water. A lot of water. God's presence in the world is like an ocean. Thick and teeming, soaked and saturated. It reminds me of Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poetic words, earth's crammed with heaven and every bush afire with God. God's presence is thick in our world. But sometimes it's not obvious. 
At times we look around and we think that everything around us reminds us of God's absence. And Habakkuk doesn't deny it. This is not a sugar-coated denial prayer. This is a clear articulation of the misery of the moment. And yet, his prayer and his heart find fullness and joy, strength and steady ground. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk's heart is not guided fully by what he sees around him, but by what God has given him to see, a vision of the fullness of the glory and the presence of the Lord. He may not feel it. He certainly doesn't see it. But in the presence of a God who hears him, who speaks to him, who answers his pleas and fills him with hope, Habakkuk chooses joy. Anne Voskamp, in her book, A Thousand Gifts, which is this wonderful book about gratitude, reminds us that the word rejoice is a verb, not a pulsating emotion. True saints, she says, know that the place where all joy comes from is far deeper than a feeling that we have. True joy comes from the place where God is present. She rewrites Habakkuk's words like this. Though my marriage tree may not bud, and though my crop of children may fail, and my work produce little yield, though there is no money in the bank and no dream left in the heart, though others may choose different ways to live their life till my last heaving breath, I will fight to the death for this. I will take joy. I will take joy. In a world that is dark and difficult where we can see the storms coming and there is hardship around each corner, how will the people of God respond? What will they do? How will they position themselves in the world? How will they help turn the evil tide? God's people will choose joy. Unexpected, unlikely, overflowing joy. God's people will lead the world in delight and exultation, in joy and elation. In a world swirling in darkness, evil, emptiness, and hardship, the people of God will choose to rejoice. What possible difference could that make? Is joy truly a strategy? Habakkuk answers with a resounding yes. We are and always have been a people marked by joy. I will rejoice in God my Savior. Long before Jesus was born, before God enacted the great rescue of humanity in the time and space of a stable and a manger, Habakkuk knew that God was his Savior. In fact, all the prophets knew it. They proclaimed the good news of the Lord as their Savior. Isaiah said, you have forgotten God, your savior. You have not remembered your rock and your fortress. Jeremiah, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous savior. Micah, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my savior, and my God will hear me. We don't think much about the prophets as joy-filled people. 
but their words, their lives, and their very joy was anchored in the promise of a savior. And so is ours. Our joy is also anchored, not in our circumstances, but in a savior who has come to rescue us, Jesus. We will rejoice in God, our savior. Habakkuk finishes his prayer with an image, a picture of a deer on a mountain. And he uses this literary device called a simile where one thing is compared to another thing to make something more vivid in our imaginations. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk begins his prophecy with a desperate voice. How long, O Lord, will I cry for help? How long must I cry out violence, but you do not save? And he ends his prophecy with a picture of a deer running on a mountain in strength and vigor and grace, a beautiful animal living fully into what it was created to do. He calls on our imaginations to see what God has made and to watch God pour his strength into that which he has created. And then he says, you are the deer. The Lord makes my feet like the feet of a deer. The deer's feet navigates every rock and every dangerous crevice as it climbs to the top of the mountain. The deer is strong and nimble, sure and graceful. The same Lord who made the deer's feet makes your feet. And as he strengthens the deer to summit the mountain, so he strengthens you to climb to the heights. Hannah Hernard was a missionary to Israel in the 1900s and she wrote of her experience of watching the gazelle out the back um, patio of her house. From the garden of the back of the mission house at the foot of Mount Gerizim, we could often watch the gazelles bounding up the mountainside, leaping from rock to rock with extraordinary grace and agility. Their motion was one of the most beautiful examples of exultant and apparently effortless ease in surmounting obstacles, which I have ever seen. She would go on to write her allegory, Hind's Feet on High Places, about the little girl named Much Afraid, who served the great shepherd. And in many ways, that story mirrors her own life, of how she doubted, how she didn't like people, how she was utterly ashamed of a stutter that she had. And how the Lord found her at 19 years old and gave her feet like a deer to face her fears and to help her climb to the heights and follow the great shepherd. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Think about your own feet. According to some experts, we walk about 7,500 steps a day. Those of you who wear Fitbits are consciously trying to take at least 10,000 steps a day. Walking is good for the heart good for our overall health. Walking strengthens our bodies. Now picture your feet scaling the rocks of a mountain path. And some of you silly Colorado people do this all the time. Checking off 14er by 14er. Amazing. Effortlessly, sure of your strength, moving up and up, higher and higher. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Walking in faith and obedience also brings strength to one's life. Such power comes from the Lord, and Habakkuk wants us to know that the Lord is the giver of all strength. Strength to walk, strength to climb, strength to obey, strength to get to the high places of faith. In the midst of great difficulty, the Lord makes our feet strong 
able to move, to walk forward, to follow his path. In Habakkuk's prayer, our job is to rejoice. God's job is to give us strength. And then together we run up the mountain. And so in the midst of difficulty, Habakkuk's steps are easy to follow. Pray, rejoice, walk. And then Habakkuk writes one final instruction at the end of his manuscript. It's not really part of his prayer. It's not part of his prophetic book, but it probably shouldn't be missed. He writes, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Habakkuk's prayer is being sent to the director of music, the chief musician, the minister of music, perhaps like the one sitting behind me. It is to be set to music, it would seem. His prayers to be sung, or at least accompanied by stringed instruments. And so we pray, we rejoice, we walk, and we sing. The reality is that God's people sing. They always have. If you've hung around the church long enough, this is no surprise to you. We sing. We love music. Music helps bridge the gap between our reality and God's reality. Habakkuk knew this. Singing God's truth helps us to grab on to joy. A song fills in the gap between head and heart, between mind and soul. In Psalm 96, we're commanded to sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. This is what we do. In worship, we sing for joy the song of the Lord. We sing his story, and in his joy, we find ours. As we prepare to leave this place today, we do so with a song on our lips and the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Let me read one more time Isaiah's words, or Habakkuk's words. And as you hear his words, Follow along with him to that place of joy, and then I'll pray. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are the source of all joy. We thank you that no matter what is happening in our lives, the circumstances that surround us, the hardships that we face, the difficulties that we see, that we can choose joy because you are our savior. Lord, form our hearts for gratitude. Help us to choose joy, to walk forward, to rejoice in you, our savior. Lord, on this day, we choose joy. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.